Well, we're going to spend the next few weeks in the wisdom books of the Bible. And, you know, when I think of wisdom, and I was trying to put the sermon together today, what actually came to mind was an ethics class that I had in divinity school. I think ethics requires a little bit of wisdom. Uh, It was one of my favorite classes, taught by my favorite professor, Dr. Ted Smith. Uh, He gave a blessing at our graduation that still hangs in my office. I read it every once in a while. But the other reason why I like this class is that it really opened my eyes to ethical decision making. Sometimes we think of right and wrong as pretty well settled. There is a right way and a wrong way, a, a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do. Except that if you're alive for very long in our world, you know that it's not always quite that cut and dry. It'd be great if it was but it's not. And so in the Western tradition, think the European philosophical tradition, there are these three frameworks for making ethical decisions. Um, Virtue ethics, deontological ethics, and consequentialist ethics. Now take notes, because there will be a quiz on the way out. So virtue ethics is is kind of what it sounds like. You, you evaluate the decision based on the decision itself's merits. There are th- things that you simply do because they are right. And there are things you don't do simply because they are wrong. So that's one way to evaluate a decision. Deontological ethics, on the other hand, are about the rules that govern ethics. Namely, that those rules should be the same should not be situated in individual instances, but should be the same. So if you think about the right to free speech, rights are a deontological ethics. It applies to everyone, regardless of the situation in life. And finally, there's consequentialist ethics, which is best known uh, by its most popular philosophy, utilitarianism, the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Basically, you analyze a decision based on its outcome. So this is a a great example of this is the ends justifying the means. Some people will do bad things to get good results. And from a consequentialist perspective, that's okay. From a virtue perspective, the ends never justify the means. So you can see ethics is kind of kind of a hairy thing. You have to make decisions. I'm going to give an example. I was going to give the trolley problem example. Does everybody know the trolley problem? A trolley is headed on a rail and there are five people tied to the rail and you can pull a switch that will send it down another rail where one person is. Do you pull the switch or not? But I think that's tired and exhausted. And so I went with a different example. I saw this quote by this guy named Miles Kincaid. It says, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. So let's think about this through our frameworks. Is it virtuous to put a tomato in a fruit salad? I mean, sure, it's a fruit. The act of putting a fruit into a fruit salad is going to be okay. So if you were to look at this from a virtuous perspective, you would say, yeah, you can do that. And if everyone starts doing it, and there's a fruit salad that everyone recognizes is made with tomatoes, then deontologically, you can do it. 
So what's wrong with putting tomato in a fruit salad? Well, what's wrong is you get the consequence of having tomato in a fruit salad. Your result ain't that great. And so you can see, this is the thing in ethics, depending on your perspective, you can make different decisions. Depending on your perspective, something can be ethical or not ethical. Something can be right or wrong. Ethics is not always straightforward. And having the wisdom to discern what is and isn't right in a given situation can be really difficult. And so in our scripture for today, we're going to learn a little bit about the wisdom tradition. And then we'll be spending the next several weeks in the books of the Song of Solomon and the following week in Ecclesiastes. And these books largely deal with how to live with these challenges in the world. Today in particular, we're gonna talk about wisdom and how it's not always about finding the answer to every problem, but rather accepting that what we are after is less like a discernible knowledge and more like a person that we get to know. So let's listen now to our scripture for today. Does not wisdom call and understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crosswords, crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portal she cries out. To you, O people, I call in my cry as to all who live. O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to one who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Well, may God bless this reading. Well, the book of Proverbs is the most prototypical book of wisdom in the Bible. It's mainly made up of sayings. If you read the rest of Proverbs, it wouldn't quite have this narrative feel to it. Today, we hear wisdom of this woman who is calling to us and guiding us. She sets up at the gates of the city and is speaking for all who have ears to listen. And some do. We call those people wise. And some don't listen. We call those people fools. Of course, the truth is that we almost all of us fall into both camps. For instance, uh, the book of Proverbs is ascribed to Solomon, the great and wise king. Except Solomon doesn't always do what is right. If you read through the rest of scripture, you will find out that Solomon has many, many, many wives. And that's not even getting into the concubines that are listed. Solomon wages war on his neighbors. He makes alliances with Egypt. Many of these things lay the groundwork for the disobedience of Israel that the prophets call out. Indeed, maybe that's one of the first lessons of wisdom is that it's not easy 
that you gain it with years of experience. And once you have it, you start to realize that it is less like a concrete list of rights and wrongs and more like this person you get to know, this presence you follow, a voice you listen to. And it says things that might be different in different situations. And that's one of the things that is so lovely about the biblical wisdom tradition. As we read through Proverbs with its short sayings, we get one picture. But then we'll make our way through the Song of Solomon next week, which is loosely wisdom literature. And you'll hear a love story, one of appreciation, love, and romance. And then you'll get to Ecclesiastes. And you'll hear of the despair, the seeming nihilism, darkness that envelopes the world, also supposedly written by Solomon. Wisdom is about what we know to be true of the world. It's how we make sense of it. It's how we make sense of the call to live in it, to be present in it, except that we, as humans, are finite. What we can know is dependent on so many other things, our experience, our relationship with God, our faith, the communities that we are a part of. Wisdom is not at all like a set of rules. And I think in one way you can say that that is wisdom, realizing that there is just not a set of right and wrong that works all of the time. There are not always easy answers. Wisdom is not something that you memorize, but something that you learn and develop by living in the gray, in the in-between space, where there isn't always an easy answer. You've got to get to know wisdom. Learn her personality. I've been thinking about this gray space a lot lately. Um, there are decisions that I know of as somebody who reads a lot of history that, that are just simply not easy to make. Decisions that are impossible to have a right answer to. If you've been following the media at all, there's been uh, several movie releases lately that have been uh, very popular. Uh, I'm going to talk about Barbie next week. I'm not kidding. This week, though, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I wanted to talk about Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, it's the perfect combination of things that I love in movies. A good story... Uh, with a, a, a historical aspect to it, uh, and it's three and a half hours long. Love a good long movie. But uh, of course, the movie tells the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer, who worked on the Manhattan Project, which produced the original atomic bombs. And I, I have been thinking, as we've been launching into this series on wisdom, about how difficult some of our decisions can be and I'm not spoiling the movie by saying that in August of 1945, the United States dropped two atomic bombs on Japanese cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I quickly looked at the numbers because I don't know what the numbers were. And what I found was that they estimate between 129 and 226,000 people died in those attacks. It's one of the single deadliest, if not single deadliest, actions in human history. So you can look at this decision and you can think that those events are unjustified. It is perfectly easy from our ethical frameworks to do that. 
introduced the world to the atomic warfare, ushered in the arms race, led to the first time in human history when we had the ability to annihilate life on earth. Something that we've really been afraid of in the back of our minds ever since. But of course, there's another side to this story and to the decision-making. You see, the U.S. was preparing an invasion into Japan. That was how the war was going to end. The U.S. was going to invade the country. And I can remember learning about this in my history classes in college. During World War II, there were more than one and a half million Purple Hearts produced, like the actual physical metals produced. And a solid half a million of those Purple Hearts were produced for the invasion itself of Japan that was to come. That's how many wounded the U.S. expected to come back. And that's not even how many they expected to die in the invasion. And I remember learning this fact because another thing that goes along with it is that that half a million Purple Hearts that were produced for the invasion have not been exhausted to this day. Like they're still giving them out to wounded soldiers because the number of Purple Hearts that they expected to give out in Japan, that number has not been met yet in the subsequent warfare. So when I was younger, I'd probably take a pretty strong side in this conversation. I probably would still take a side in it, but but as I get older, I believe less in a hard right and a hard wrong. I realize more and more that things are never quite as cut and dry, that the folks who had to make those decisions, the ones who had to come up with an answer, they were in a situation with no right answer. And so I think, I think the wise answer, this is my academic wisdom here, is just to say that it sucks to live in a world with such warfare. That is just bad. Another term we learned in Dr. Smith's ethics class was the, the concept of a moral tragedy. A moral tragedy is a situation in which you have two options to make and they're both bad. But you have to choose one. You have to decide between bad and bad. And I don't envy folks who are in those situations, who are making those decisions. Wisdom requires that we recognize that it's not always easy. Of course, uh, one other thing I remember from my ethics class was that on the last day, uh, Dr. Smith concluded by saying that actually most of the time ethics is pretty straightforward. Um, He told us as a pastor, don't date someone who works for you. Don't embezzle money. You know, 90% of the time the ethical decisions we have to make are not, not that hard. But there is stuff that does get difficult and tricky. There is stuff that is more complicated than deciding not to put tomato in a fruit salad. And it takes wisdom to recognize that things are not always cut and dry, that folks are making difficult decisions, decisions without clear-cut right and wrong answers. We live in a beautiful world and 
we live in a world that can be marred by sin. And I just wonder if in today's world of polarization in which it's so easy to take sides, to dig our heels in, I wonder if we can have the wisdom to recognize that even when we disagree with one another, most people are still trying to make the right decision. Most people are still trying to do what they think is ethically right. So can we speak in grace and love and not judgment, even when we decide to stand by our convictions? Because there is wisdom in recognizing that everyone is simply trying to do what they think is best. And even when we disagree, we can disagree and still do so in love. Because there is a difference between disagreeing in love and passing judgment. So maybe we should work on having the wisdom to do the former much more than the latter. That we might disagree in love and not judgment. And for those places where we will surely fall into judgment, may we be quick to ask forgiveness to say that we made the wrong decision. Of course, in all things, we continue to grow and to develop and to get to know Lady Wisdom because she is standing at the gate calling to us, leading us, guiding us. Let us continue to listen. Amen. Well, we invite you all to connect with us as a church. If it's your first Sunday, uh, take a moment to introduce yourself following worship. And this goes the same if you are online. We would love to get to know more about what brought you to our church.